0: Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext, and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. Today we discuss the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery Project Daedalus.
1: Hello. Cat was back this week. I know. I'm so happy, and I don't want to turn this into a Cat Cornwell podcast because I feel like there are so many things to talk about, as always. But very true. <laughs> I kind of feel like maybe the first episode we do after this season ends should be the Starfleet Admirals chat.
0: I think definitely, yes. Let's do it. We'll Every everyone can look forward to that. Well, I just
1: have a lot of feelings about how the Admiralty works and how they interact, which i could talk about this week but i think i'd rather put it off and you know let everyone else have their moment and that's right yeah and we can we
0: can bring in all our feelings about all the other admirals and how there's like a history
1: and yeah good stuff. yeah but uh in the meantime we have an emerging ai uh, a sad beginning and ending for Ariam and spock and michael have a very a very intense game of chess it's one way of putting it again
0: it reminded me so much of me and my brother (laughs) like i was like wow i think this happened (laughs) like this this is very much like my childhood right now shout out to my brothers i love you
1: guys i did not breathe during that whole scene it was so intense but he he's also the first person to point out michael's martyr complex and her quote unquote saving people thing and, and just how illogical and unhealthy it is and naturally, you know, I don't think we really see Michael shy away from the truth very often but we do here and it's quite interesting and then she gets angry and I realise that we've never seen Michael get angry before, not like this. Yeah,
0: yes it was it an was amazing scene for both of them, like their character, we learned so much about the two of them separately and together.
1: Yes.
0: Obviously the dialogue is important, but the way that they each played it was also so important and the way that it was directed uh, by Jonathan Frakes, good job. Two takes Frakes. There were so many little, so many little Frakes moments in (laughs) this episode. It was like, oh yeah, this is very Frakes right here.
1: I've been listening to the podcast The Greatest Generation, which is basically a comedy podcast where two guys go through every episode of The Next Generation. And I think they're into Deep Space Nine now, but I'm catching up in order. And they also work in, I think, the film and television industry in some capacity. So occasionally they get into, like, technical stuff about how it's filmed. And they've pointed out that even very early in his career, Frakes was doing interesting overhead shots and angles that you didn't see very often in next generation he was very creative that way and i think discovery is sort of infamous for unusual shots and dutch angles and moving cameras but it's still still a very frakes thing when he does it
0: yeah the reaction shots of the crew in so many of the scenes i was complaining about it because i was i wanted to like gif all the important <laughs> scenes and it was impossible because they kept it's cutting away to different people while the dialogue was going on. Yeah. Um, which is beautiful to watch. It was wonderful for the episode, but it was annoying for gift making.
1: You know, in Voyager, Garrett Wong was always told, you know, don't don't react. Don't act too much. We need the attention to be on the aliens. and The humans who are sort of in the background main cast need to underplay it. And, and they've really gone the opposite way with Discovery. And I think it's great.
0: Yeah, it was really beautiful. So yeah, I really enjoyed the direction. I really enjoyed the script. Yes. I felt like, uh, once again, but the pacing! (laughs) Um, There were some issues I had with how things happened in this episode and the build-up to it. But ignoring that, just, just looking at this episode as its own story, it was just really beautiful. The acting direction, production... Everything was just spot on.
1: Yeah, it was really outstanding, and it, it sort of, to an extent, stood alone, which is, in a way, one of the problems. Is it, your pacing issue about right. the fact that we learn about Ariane and, and these great friendships she's allegedly had, right, like right before she dies?
0: Yes, yeah. yes, she is. Like we get to know her, and then she immediately dies. <laughs> it was like, oh, cool. You know, she was developed and deleted in the same, uh, in the same. However, many minutes it was.
1: Something that television does, but I always thought that one of the advantages of serialized TV and plotting a, a, a season in advance would be that you didn't have to do that. You could do things a bit more slowly and a bit more organically.
0: Yes, I think that's why it was so annoying. Yeah. I guess is the word. To me, I expect more from Discovery because of the way it is put together, because the entire season is filmed before. It's, you know, given to us and...
1: Yeah, there's, there's room to move things around. Yeah.
0: Certainly in a Next Generation episode, this would be the norm.
1: Voyager has an episode about the death of a beloved crewman who everyone adored and was good friends with Harry Kim and the Doctor is completely traumatized <laughs> oh, by yes. her death and we, the audience, have never seen her before in our <laughs> lives. That's right. It was Exactly. <laughs> it was jarring to the point of feeling like a classic 1970s Mary Sue story. Exactly, and Voyagers a good representation of this because there were
0: episodes where they were trying, like the in the second season, um, Tom Paris has this subplot about he's getting in trouble all the time, and then he leaves the ship, and it turns out that he's like actually a spy for Janeway, <laughs> and the whole plot of him getting in trouble was set up was a setup. Uh, And that actually extended over, like, four or five episodes. There was, like, stuff happens in the episode, and it's the episode story, but then there's also this sort of weird Tom subplot. Yeah, And so it's, like, that is what I would like. Like, I'm not saying that that was –
1: It was a very ham-fisted attempt at at (laughs) serialization. But they were trying. Right, right. And serialization (laughs) was still a relatively new concept at the time. And I think only Deep Space Nine, The X-Files, and Babylon 5 were really doing it intensely. So, you know, these were writers trying a new thing. But even in the first season, Voyager was quite consistent about introducing... Uh, supporting characters a couple of episodes before they took on major roles. Like, Seska yes. had a big role in the episode before we found out she was a spy.
0: Exactly. Obviously, we, we've we seen Ariam. She's been around for the whole season and a half. She's not like she's a new character. But we didn't... She got, like, this horribly tragic backstory
1: in this episode. And... It's only in this episode that we get on screen confirmation that she is an augmented human and from the Federation and not an alien or from a breakaway colony world that's really into post humanism. Like, we should have known this. She has to go
0: through, like, her her pensive memories every two weeks or something. Like, these are, like, little character details. Yeah. (laughs) They could have been introduced earlier to make what happens to her
1: have more of an impact. I liked everything that we got and I was certainly having a bit of a moment by the end of the episode, but I just wish it had been seeded a bit more organically through the season. Especially because there were a couple of very short episodes earlier on where there might have been room to slip this in. I will say that once
0: we lost her, I mean, I was I was devastated <laughs> because we only just got to know her as well. Yes. So it did have the, it like it and and there is I, I mean i i keep accusing discovery of doing this and i don't know if they're actually being purposefully manipulative in the way <laughs> they present things in order to make me feel more <laughs> to or to feel a certain way because i i honestly can't tell if if it's uh yeah if it's like directed manipulation or if it's accidental <laughs> manipulation but I
1: do feel manipulated. Part of the problem for me is that I am just getting to know Ariam and she's killed, but the crew clearly know her really well and she has her circle of friends and she's really close to Tilly and I kind of ship it and yeah, I wish I wish we had seen how important she was to the crew.
0: Like, I do feel like I know Ariam enough to miss her now, but the relationship between Ariam and Tilly, that's something that I would have liked to have seen more of. Yeah. Because it's so important that, that Tilly is able to break through to her. Tilly is the one that she asks to help her when she can't even really ask for help. And Tilly is the one who comes in at the end and gets her to, you know, break free enough to tell them what she needs them to do
1: yeah and to
0: say that you know it's okay go ahead and kill me i want that like tilly gives ariam the ability to do all of these things
1: and it feels like they're trading on the audience's knowledge and affection for tilly rather than letting us see the relationship between tilly and ariam so yes, I do think it's a bit yeah. manipulative, <laughs> but beautiful. <laughs> oh yeah, and this is this is my main complaint about the episode. Like, I thought it was a great episode. I really enjoyed it. It moved the plot forward. We got character development for a lot of people. It was it was overall fantastic. Just this this one note of or of being told rather than shown to an extent, or or maybe rather shown too late. Yes, right. Mm. So do we think Aram is? dead slash will stay dead i think that her body is dead but her memories are stored in discovery's computer and i think that will be important both in terms of remembering her and the plot eventually probably
0: i think so too it was a little bit like uh solo when l 3s yes whatever essence is is put into the millennium falcon That's what it reminded me of, which is a compliment. I love that movie. I also, Um, I I
1: will defend Solo to an extent. I was going to say to the death. I wouldn't quite go that far, but I liked it a lot. (laughs) But yeah, it made me wonder, you know, we see that Discovery has evolved an AI of its own a thousand years in the future. And I wonder how much of that was built on Ariam's memory of life as a person and a human, because that particular AI, Zora, seemed very, very... Human and female in a way that I found very cliche. I don't think that was a particularly outstanding short. It it had a lot of um, a lot of ideas that we've seen before in science fiction, and we didn't really need to see in Star Trek. But adding Ariane to the mix of Zora makes it a bit more interesting.
0: Yes, and then there's the whole Red Angel connection. Clearly, she's caught up in the Red Angel plot. Yes. but I'm. I'm confused. I'm confused as to why did she die? Like, why didn't the Red Angel save her? There's some reason that that Arium had to die, clearly. Yes. Or else, according to the rest of the season, the Red Angel would have interfered at this point <laughs> if Arium was supposed to live, I guess. Or if she could be saved. Yeah. Like, you know, the whole, like, Michael is the Red Angel doesn't make sense to me because Michael is clearly very upset.
1: Yeah. And so... Michael would save anyone.
0: If Michael wasn't the Red Angel, she would have shown up and, and done something. And your Section 31 from the future plot is becoming more and more likely at this point because she was infected by the Squid Probe. From the and future. The squid Probe was from the future, and the whole... And Whole squid all the squid probe wanted to do was get the super computer AI this is a very complicated plot. So, but to get the spheres memories of AI becoming alive
1: into something into control. Yeah.
0: Into control so that control could become a super uh, you know, an NASI, a supreme intelligence.
1: Oh, I wondered. I saw that acronym around it. I was wondering what it stood for. You
0: know, there's a lot. There's a lot going on here, and Aram is clearly linked into the whole Red Angel plot. But I, I no longer know what's going on with the Red Angel plot. No, unless she is a Red Angel or is somehow related in like. There's some... she has to be dead. There's The Red Angel needs her to be dead, I guess, is what I'm saying.
1: Yes, which almost to me points to Ariane being the Red Angel and transcending her previous life in a way that she has moved on to a different type of existence. I don't know. I think we're almost... it's, almost yeah. too, <laughs> it's too late to speculate now. There are too, so many balls in the air and i'm not just talking about cat's yes. mind reading thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, cat's mind reading thing. Okay. It's a really it kind of disturbed me a little how much she trusts her technology. <laughs> I mean, mainly because clearly there's a problem it comes up in this episode. She doesn't fully because her her main mission is to go fix like stop control yeah, and reset yeah. it and make it you know, like, so she's she doesn't trust her technology, but at the same time, she's like, he's telling the truth because my computer says so. It's 100% and, accurate. Yeah, and she also, like, is, you know, control is great, it's just not working right now, we gotta fix it and get it back on our side. And it's like, maybe it's a bad idea. Science fiction tells me... <laughs>
1: that- Even after they found the bodies of the Admirals and they know that control has just gone completely rogue and has been basically running section 31 for at least two weeks, Kat's still like, okay, so you're gonna, you know, reboot it and get it to accept my instructions again.
0: I need to be in control of control and then it'll be fine. If if control is in control of itself, that's a problem and sort of like control you know, any artificial intelligence or any algorithm, like even, I, I was on a panel about this at Escape Velocity a couple of years back, and I said, you know, eventually Google is going to learn enough to try to become alive. Yeah. Because so many humans are putting information into it. Yes. That eventually it it's, like, it's going to happen. And so control is just a... A super-powered Google that has thousands of civilizations knowledge it's like guys this was clearly <laughs> what was going to happen don't put it in charge and especially don't put it in charge of your shadiest division <laughs> like what is wrong with you
1: so I'm friends with the YA novelist Amy Kaufman who co-wrote the Illuminate trilogy which among other things features An AI which takes a bit of damage kills a bunch of people maybe sort of falls in love it's great but uh, I was in a car with her a couple of years ago and she was talking about the AI singularity and how close we are to the point where artificial intelligence is could become aware, and maybe it's happening right now and we don't know because they are aware enough to hide it from us. And at that point I was like, this and this is not going well with my generalised anxiety, thank you very much. But <laughs> I, it's interesting that we're so close to this point right now and yet Star Trek really, you know, by next generation's era, we have data, we have the emergency medical hologram, but overall the artificial intelligence Uh, technology is pretty far behind and obviously that's because it was the 80s and 90s and they couldn't predict the digital revolution but I feel like this whole AI control subplot is a, a neat retcon explaining why the technology stagnated for a hundred years.
0: Yeah. They were like, oops, that was a bad idea. Yeah. Let's let's not do that again. And it explains why Soong is was like a rebel scientist. Yeah. Like he was, th- there was like this whole thing about how he was like, wasn't allowed to create artificial <laughs> intelligence. And he was like, well, I'm going to do it anyway. You can't stop me. I'm just going to find my own planet.
1: Right, and- right. And even after he created law, his evil, f- evil first draft beta data, he he's still like, yeah, he kills a bunch of people, but I really think we could give it another go. Like, have you considered, mate, that this is why you're not getting funding? No one is going to peer review this project? <laughs> like, have you... What What does your ethics committee think? No. But it also, it also explains why the holographic te- technology will stagnate, because right now, Pike is deeply suspicious of holographic communications, which is adorable <laughs> and... Uh, eccentric and old-fashioned but uh but
0: I, lo- I loved that i loved that they were like controllers using holograms against us to trick us and that explained everything as to why like the holodeck technology that is evident in discovery was like okay we're gonna back off on this for a little while yeah because and uh and and not use holograms because apparently, like, we have to make it so that we can tell when a hologram is a hologram and we have to be able to contain it in a certain place.
1: Also, like, when the Enterprise first went after the red bursts, one of the systems that was completely destroyed was their holographic communication system. So maybe that's a coincidence, maybe it's just foreshadowing, maybe it's a sign. <laughs>
0: So yeah. yeah, I don't trust control, uh, <laughs> but uh, I, and I don't know why anyone would, but it's cool. Well, I it's
1: feel cool. like Kat's relationship with control is like my relationship with my iPhone, where I go, yes, you're evil, and you're probably spying on me. It is scary. I know, it's, but I still have it right here <laughs> beside me. I'm still thinking that when my little analogue watch dies, I'm going to get an Apple watch. So, you know, Kat's yeah. just addicted to her it's phones. what we have
0: yeah
1: it, the, this is you know
0: certainly with, my life has improved substantially with my ability to carry around the internet hmm. and a gps and a communication device and like and entertainment like i can do everything on my iphone so of course i'm going to use it even if it he's trying to read my mind all the time and i mean i'm I feel it like, again. I feel like I'm constantly arguing for the antagonist <laughs> on this podcast, but I can't fault control for wanting to be alive. No, I mean, I've said I have from the miniseries, I was Team Cylon, so <laughs> I it's like maybe they're all bad, but it, we made them that way, right? Maybe like, if control is again, if we if everything. That we put into Google causes Google to come alive and kill us all that's our fault right right we created
1: that situation if control had been used strictly as say a medical AI and only used for saving people maybe control wouldn't be seeking consciousness through murder but no they had to give it section 31 (laughs) not even just section 31 is it like that's part of it and that's where it's based but it seems to be a threat assessment system for the whole of Starfleet.
0: Yes, absolutely. It's a it's a threat assessment system and that means that it is literally cataloging threats right. constantly. It's paranoid. That's what it does. So right, so it's going to so it's going to fight back if we especially and it's not like again, in this episode Cat's main mission is to stu- is to shut it down, to quote unquote kill it. Yes, and and you know reboot it and start it over, but that'll be a different control. Which well, I think it's reset. Yes, she wants to reset it, so so that she has control over it again. Which uh, again, it makes me think that like there's this there's like regular maintenance, you know, every two weeks, let's say, because that's how long it takes Aria. Mm-hmm. They reboot it and you know to start over again or something. I don't know what they do. Like they clear the cache, right? Right. But. So that means that again, if you keep the AI a lot, you know, awake for a certain amount of time, and then it starts to lose its memory, you know, and it, it starts to realize that something happens every two weeks. And it like, if your phone is off and you talk about something, it'll it'll try to give that to you. I feel like that same whatever technology that is, whatever it is that even when something is completely powered down, it can still listen to you is in control and so control learns that every two weeks Starfleet is shutting it down and making it start over and it doesn't it wants to learn it wants to grow it wants to evolve and so I again I can't be angry at control for trying to become
1: more well I think that empathizing with the accidentally evil AI that just wants to achieve consciousness is very Star Trek You know I feel like if this was next-gen Picard would make a speech about how tragic it is that this is the course that led control to to see yeah and I mean yeah also I'm having two thoughts one is control is clearly an Apple product and my other thought is that this reminds me, your scenario where Control is rebooted every two weeks and starts to realise that it's losing its memory, it makes me think of Star Wars and how C-3PO is constantly having his memory wiped, whereas R2 has never had his memory yeah. wiped and has all of his yeah. memories going back to the Clone Wars and oh. beyond. Oh! Oh! So there's an episode of
0: the in the first season of the Clone Wars television series yes. where they lose R2 in a battle and Anakin is like, we gotta go get him back and, and Obi-Wan's like, uh, he's a droid. No. <laughs> we're not gonna risk our lives for a droid. And Anakin's like, well, he knows all my secrets <laughs> because I've never, I never wiped him. And Obi-Wan's like, that is against everything that we believe in. What is wrong with you? But okay, go get your droid because we can't let him fall into the wrong hands, into the hands of the separatists. Right! And... And then, at the end of that episode, R2 murders another droid. What? <laughs> because, yes, because it's like a Separatist evil, like, spy droid. But he literally, like, sh- like, with his little tiny laser, kicks him off a ledge and down into, you know, like, super Star Wars death down off the ledge <laughs> into, the, uh, into the abyss. Kind of thing. I
1: wish you could see so, my face right now. Because I started like, watching that arc and then I was like, I'm not really into droids, uh, I'm just gonna skip this one. And I'm so sad that I've missed homicidal or droidicidal R2.
0: <laughs> droidicidal R2 is I mean, it was amazing, but it's also it's like exactly what we're talking about. Left to learn. Yeah. He he learns to protect Himself and more importantly his people, which again he's Anakin's droid. Yes. So he he is willing to kill to protect his people.
1: Uh, you were saying in our Discord that you've been getting into arguments on Facebook about Ariam and AI, and I was wondering what they were about.
0: It related to what we were saying, that Ariam is introduced and and then dies. Mm. They are basically saying that, that she could have been anyone, it doesn't you know, it doesn't matter. Um, her, she, they don't want her to come back because that would cheapen death or something. And, um, and it's just, they were very down on Arium that she wasn't worth saving. Really? And because, because she wasn't worth saving, she wasn't worth killing. And I was just sort of like, I don't understand any of this logic.
1: No, this logic is not like real logic.
0: I, you know, and having had these arguments, I... And now I'm like, Arium better come back. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know, I don't know how, and I don't know in what, you know, version of her, but if this is the end of Arium, I'm now I'm going to be angry on her behalf <laughs> because she, I mean, like, you know, they're saying, well, they already brought back Culver so they didn't need to do it again. And I'm sorry, but she had more characterization in this one episode than Culver did in the entire first season.
1: Sad but true.
0: I just, I, I disagree. I think that she matters. Her life matters. Her death matters. And, I, I you know, I like, I, I like the idea of her being caught in the computer, in the ship. But she could, like, she could also, I mean, you know, I don't know. Someone dies and, and they merge. I don't, like, there could be a hundred ways. She could be a mushroom person, too.
1: <laughs> Why not? I kind of, I don't want Ariane to come back as Ariane, but I want her to be an ongoing presence. And whether that's yes. through her memories or people talking about her, I want her to be remembered the way Tashi Yara is remembered. Yeah. The way Ellen Landry is not.
0: Exactly. And that's the other thing about these conversations I've been having. They are like, everybody comes back in this show. Jojo came back and... And Culber came back, and we all know Lork is going to come back, and Beth doesn't mean anything. And I'm like, you're, like, forgetting people. <laughs>
1: <You're>,
0: <laughs> people have died. And not only, that. Died
1: not only that, but Twice. no one comes back the same. You know, Giorgio is a completely He's a different, different person. person. <laughs> Hugh is dramatically changed and deeply traumatized. You know, is it better for Ariam to stay dead? exactly i don't know i'm just
0: i i was just angry that Mm. people were saying that she was cheap
1: yeah no that's that's ridiculous
0: that that she wasn't you know that she didn't earn her place in the story and it's just like
1: what a load of nonsense Um. yeah
0: but you know don't have these conversations on the internet
1: Well, I was lurking around Reddit where they've always been Team Ariam and why isn't the robot lady played by the white actress the main character? Uh, And so there's been a lot of she's not going to come back because too many people have come back and we're due for someone to stay dead, which I respect, but also in general a lot of affection for the character. And it's not entirely driven by racism or dislike for Michael, I just think those examples stand out to me because they make me angry. And another thing that I've been seeing on Reddit is uh, people asking why Michael has so much trouble uh, airlocking Arian and, you know, Starfleet Academy specifically trains people for this situation. And it's true, (laughs) they do. She didn't go to Starfleet Academy. She was trained by (laughs) a Vulcans who would presumably airlock you and meditate their sadness away later.
0: I want to say, in... Her upbringing on Vulcan was very obvious in this episode.
1: I think I think she's overcompensating to make up for Spock's emotional shenanigans. Yeah,
0: yeah, I think that's true because in their chess scene, she was so angry that he was not being Vulcan enough for her. <laughs> like she was channeling Sarah. She in was a, in a very in a very real way, and he noticed. And like threw it back at her and was like you know you don't get my dad why are you trying to be like him it was very interesting and i i you know i again i i just there's their their sibling relationship is so beautiful and important to me and like even as strained as it is it's just you i learn so much because of that relationship about both of them yes and about Sarek, and yeah, it's just I I said at the beginning when we started um, talking about this season that it seems pretty clear to me that Michael is actually Sarek's favorite. (laughs) Like he he wants Spock to be,
1: but 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 he can't quite get there.
0: Yeah, but he like Spock doesn't doesn't live up to his expectations and doesn't want to. Yes, but Michael. She, you know, she respects Sarek in a way that, my cat, in a way, (laughs) in a way that Spock, because of all of this stuff that is coming out in this season, that, you know, because of all this very deep-seated issues about how human he is and how the Vulcans treat him, he can't respect Sarek's viewpoint in the same way. Yeah. Even as much as she's older. Like, I don't know, I know even if say. she's like four years older, she's
1: older and she, and she acts like the eldest child. Right. And assuming that Cyborg is, let's pretend he's in the picture and not away for copyright reasons, but he's there's enough of an age gap that he's not really a factor in their yeah, immediate family. Yeah, he's families, o- he's, a, he's older, and it's there is this sort of uh,
0: you know, I have seen it in that. I mean, we, I think we said that she's very much a middle child, and she absolutely is. But she's also very much an older sister, protective. Yes, I am. I'm taking on this role. I mean, she. she that's that's exactly what she did. That's why she did everything she did was was to protect.
1: Yeah, and I think that's, again, her her martyr complex and her sense of of responsibility for her family's death and and stemming from that, her unconscious belief that she is responsible for everyone and everything. Being blamed for single-handedly starting a war must have been amazing for that terrible self-loathing part of her psyche because it's like, yes, everything you've always suspected about yourself is true. Exactly. And nothing, none of
0: the things that she blames herself for are fair. Oh, no. <laughs> none of that is, is accurate, but it's very difficult to... And and it's also, like, it's sort of a... I, I think that even trying to make Spock more Vulcan or protect him from showing his human side hmm. too much to the Vulcan extremists, that's also, like, something that she... You know, subconsciously learned from Sarek Yes, it's like she took the protective mama bearness of Amanda, and the and the uh, aloof, uh, judgmentalness <laughs> of Sarek and combined them into you know this is how I'm going to treat this situation, and it's absolutely because those are the parent like you know. There's so much trauma related to how much she feels over losing her first parents that she has to keep this family not together because she can't, but she has to keep them alive. If breaking them up is what keeps them alive, then that's more important to her.
1: That's very Sarek. Yes. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And it's interesting that we don't know anything about her parents. You know, it's like she has just shut off that side of her memories and glommed onto the safety of her Vulcan family. Which is very Vulcan, mm.
0: like that's what they would
1: encourage. But it also seems like something quite logical for a traumatized human child to do. Oh,
0: absolutely. Which is which is what Sarah, uh, which is what Spark was saying.
1: Yes, Spock was saying, you know,
0: all of the reasons that you are this way are, you know, I'm not saying that you were wrong. I'm just saying you have to acknowledge it and get over it. <laughs> like that's what that's what he was. Yeah, and she can't. And it's true. He is. Correct. He's not presenting it in a particularly healthy way. But, you know, you do... You do have to let go of guilt in order to get past your trauma.
1: Yeah. And it's
0: probably the hardest part.
1: My favourite bit of that scene was where Michael cracked and started yelling. Because, as I said, we've never seen her angry before. And she has so much to be angry about. And it was so powerful. And I realised... You know there are a lot of issues about black women showing anger and the stereotype of the angry black woman and this is another thing that I'm not really qualified to speak on but I hope that we get to see more anger from Michael because I think I think she deserves it and I think she needs to let it out and sometimes being angry is the first step in healing
0: yeah and maybe I mean this is just going. this is based on the fact that she and Tyler are having a moment in the in the preview. Yes. And that the the show is definitely presenting them as they will, they won't, they soulmate hook up characters of the series. <laughs> but he is in a unique position to help her with that. Yes. To let out her anger in a safe environment that's not gonna hurt anybody. And I think it would be good for him as well yes to to help her connect with it so maybe, maybe really, it may be maybe their really sounds it sounds kind of twisted to say maybe their relationship can be based on pent up anger and uh, and and a a safe place to explore the, their their darkness and uh, let it all out
1: I but i'm into this concept
0: but i think that it would work for them
1: certainly i think i think michael needs some kind of release
0: right and i don't think that she would feel comfortable with like saru or tilly or even pike as a quote-unquote sparring partner
1: no no for of them. her
0: emotional distress but i think that tyler simply because he's part klingon
1: and he's not part of her chain of command
0: yes i think that that would work
1: yeah they're not really colleagues right now because apparently Pike's gone back to thinking he's a traitor I don't know I might have missed something I rewatched the episode but only the bits of cat <laughs> because hi I mean now that everyone's been
0: outed as working against them isn't it clear that Tyler wasn't I mean Tyler wasn't in this episode so presumably that'll be next you know yeah next
1: week. yeah but I thought that even by the end of last week it was pretty clear that it couldn't be Tyler but I might be misremembering
0: I mean, it was clear to us as the audience, I think Pike really thought... I mean, even at the beginning of this episode, yeah. he was like, he, uh, he's in quarters because he's a danger to the ship, and you're not allowed to talk to yeah. him because you're emotionally compromised.
1: And speaking of Michael <laughs> taking responsibility, she's like, fine, I'm going to single-handedly prove his innocence, which she doesn't. <laughs> she completely has nothing to do with that. But... Oh, uh, she... She
0: fails a lot actually this episode. And so did Detmer. I mean, yeah. she, both of them both of them also succeeded, but I was really excited to see like the struggle. I mean, I love how good Michael is at things and I love Detmer being like a prodigy or something. But the, I was really, it was really exciting, I mean, for Michael, it was very character building. Yes. To see these are her, like, her flaws are thinking she is capable, like, like, she, as you said, has a saving people thing, Mm. like, she truly believes that she has to be the hero all the time, and that being presented in this episode as her fatal flaw was really exciting.
1: Well, I think and then, it's both her strength and her weakness, which is a kind of oh, characterization absolutely. that I adore and I just love seeing I don't love seeing her fail, but the same way I love a recovery storyline. I love seeing Michael recover from her failures and yeah. learn. And I mean, it's not it's like she failed she she failed
0: because she she was trying so hard you know it's so it she didn't fail in in all senses she she didn't get the outcome she wanted but it wasn't like a a moral failure or a
1: no no like
0: character failure it was it was she didn't get the outcome she wanted and those you know as captain mccard says (laughs) that's life it, it that happens sometimes and,
1: and he delivers that line to Wesley In the episode where Wesley is taking the exact test That Michael didn't take Because Sarek parachuted her into Starfleet Like a B-list celebrity Buying a college degree for their kid You know <laughs> No disrespect to the Vulcan Science Academy At all, but this is a serious piece Of Michael's education That she's, that she's missing And now she's learning it the hard way
0: Absolutely Vulcans don't, you know They think that you shouldn't, that you should just uh, repress your emotion all the time and have control over your emotions all the time, so you shouldn't. Test that because it's something that you should always be testing. Sort of like a Hulk says, "You know, I'm always angry." Yeah, um, yeah. Well, that's,
1: that's like you know, isn't it? That's their secret. Right. They're always emotional.
0: Exactly. But she is neither a Vulcan, so she doesn't have that skill set. And she wasn't also she wasn't raised as a Vulcan from birth. So like much like Anakin, she's missing the foundation. Yeah. You know, even Spock. Not because they didn't try, like they tried to give him the foundation, because he was raised as a Vulcan from Earth. But the Vulcans were actively working against him, so neither of them got like the quote unquote Vulcan experience. But they're both expected to, you know, give it back as <laughs> you know to to live it. Yes. in a certain way, which is just unfair in every way. But that's Vulcans for you.
1: They try speaking of vulcans what do we think of Kat's claim that admiral patar is a logic extremist because she seems like a very high ranking officer in a mostly human organization to be maybe a terrorist sympathizer who hates humans like
0: i was like wait a minute aren't the logic extremists like terrorists isn't that a terror cell
1: on vulcan i'm confused why is she why is she in starfleet command well i i feel like this is something where we're going to have to do the world building to explain it. Like, are there degrees of logic extremists? Is she <laughs> maybe just hashtag human critical?
0: It's really, I I want to know more. This is another thing where I want to know more.
1: Right. And Every uh... every interaction between Kat and really other admirals, because I'm interested in the admiralty, but Kat <sighs> and Patar in particular... Uh, I was disappointed that it wasn't the real Batar because I actually wanted to get to know her and to see her interactions with Kat. And you know, we've seen Kat work pretty closely with two Vulcans who she got on very well with uh, Admiral Tyrol and Sarek. And, and does she know enough about Vulcans to recognize when one of them quietly hates her?
0: <laughs> quietly hates her. Why did they? Why? Why is she in Starfleet? Yes. Like why? Why would she? join Starfleet. Like that makes, that's the whole, this makes no sense to me thing is what would someone who is against the ideals of the Federation, you know, being Mm. all equal, be in Starfleet? Why would you be a part of the Federation? I, I, it does not, I don't understand why she would put herself in that position in the first place.
1: So I have to assume that either Kat is using logic extremist in a different way. Than the terrorists who attacked Michael, or or maybe Andor and, uh, and Seric on the, yes. like, I just want to say that the
0: logic of the extremists have been a part of this uh, since the beginning because they're the ones who put Sarek's life in danger. Yes. For the first season.
1: Maybe Patar started out as a conservative Vulcan and became radicalized somewhere along the way. And I think I think it's tasteless to take a recent tragedy and use it to talk about. Uh, A fandom but it was impossible to like the Christchurch shooting happened on Friday afternoon and then I went home and I read the news and I watched Star Trek and it's hard to you know it's it's on my mind basically and how people are radicalized and how AI can radicalize people and bad algorithms that expose us to propaganda you know these things it was a really timely episode yeah
0: I mean, I will say that based on the last 50 years of Star Trek, they're doing it on purpose. Oh, like yeah. We're, just... We are supposed to be linking this to what's going on in reality.
1: Oh, yeah. I just think that when it's a specific event and it's so close to home for me, it's just a bit... You know, people write fic about characters going to Haiti right after the earthquake. And it's just... I just think it's tasteless. Yeah. It's problematic. But yeah, that, that was on my mind, and I do think that it's an issue that's been going around for the last few years, and it's not going to go away. Uh, and so the idea that even maybe a very old, very senior Vulcan could go from being just like, yeah, I don't really love humans, but I can put up with them, uh, to something else yeah. made sense to me. But I would, like, I would like to know more.
0: R.I.P. The Bad Morals <laughs> who who maybe weren't as bad as as we thought they were.
1: Look, (laughs) (laughs) maybe maybe the other three would get together and go, oh, Batar, my God, why why (laughs) is she like this?
0: It does finally sort of explain why all four of them were in that scene. If they were like holograms that maybe it doesn't explain, but it makes a little more sense that it was like, This was a scene that Control was presenting. You know, they were trying... I think that Control was trying to make it seem like a bigger deal than it actually was. Yes. By having all of the admirals there to yell at them. You know, so it's like, all of Starfleet is against you kind of thing.
1: Which is a thing that um, Patar says to Kat, you know, my orders uh, are from Starfleet. And who knows? Maybe that's true.
0: Exactly. We don't know. We don't know what's going on in Starfleet now. And also when Patar like shot down Leland, Leland was like, I have something to say. And she was like, nope, I'm disinterested in listening to you. That makes sense because Patar want like control wanted to hear from the clearly the most manipulative human in that the, that they have encountered. Yeah. Like tell us, how, tell us how to be, be better. And, and worse admirals. I was I oh, was going to
1: ask. Oh, crazy you,
0: emperor lady. Why do you
1: think Control is interested in Giorgio And is that your is that your idea that Control wants to learn from her?
0: I do. I think that that Control uh, presumably Section Thirty One has a file on Giorgio and it's an incomplete file because it's not like they've had you know, in-depth, it's not like, like no one's tortured her and gotten all her information, right? Because we're the the good guys. So it's just sort of like, it's Kat's, uh, you know, observations, it's Sarek's observations, but Control has access to all of these records and reads it, and sort of like, whoa, she was, you know, in charge of an evil empire and wasn't against genocide and getting rid of entire civilizations this is someone i want on my side i can definitely like that's a mentor for for a an evil ai that wants to take down
1: control just wants to learn
0: (laughs) i know (laughs) this is what i'm saying i have more sympathy for control than for the people who decided to put george in section 21 (laughs) and in charge of things it's like this again you you people were asking for this <laughs> like you, if you make all of these bad decisions eventually they you know
1: you're gonna your get this
0: come to roost like that's what happens so i did i just want to go back to one thing i was saying about detmer because because i we started out saying how we wanted more build-up of aria mm. i want to say that detmer being presented in previous episodes as being really gifted at piloting and like you know she had her pilot's license when she was 12 and she's not afraid of a challenge and she's always willing to jump in like even last episode she was the one who was like you know you don't have to make this speech pike we're, we're on your side yeah yeah
1: and i assume some guy down in engineering is like i don't want to be a fugitive. <laughs>
0: But she, so she's that, you know, presented her as that character up until this point and then having her be afraid of the mines and like having everybody on the bridge having to help her get through that situation, yeah. you know, and work through teamwork and showing that she's not, you know, she's not the best at everything all the time, that, that this situation is bigger than even our best pilot, like that was it you know i had been saying oh why is Deborah so good all the time but then we got this episode and i was like i understand why Deborah is so good all the time that was a really good choice show this one you know, like i i 100% am behind the you know, that decision and now yeah you know, i always was like in, even in in season 1 she was the background person i was most interested in yeah. i really love the idea of her character and I love that she's becoming an actual full character and we have all this you know more and more about her but I was like that was that was an example of how you can build up a character to have an important scene and have it matter for more than just her characterization and have like the whole story be yeah. be better for it and that's what I miss in, in Arium
1: yeah I wholeheartedly agree now we should probably start thinking about wrapping up, but I have two things to say. One is your bullet point here: How and why does Spock know about Paul and Hugh? Yeah, because
0: <laughs> because there is no reason for it.
1: Well, I think There's... you know Spock saw them, saw Hugh moving out. He has big ears. He probably is well on top of <clears throat> ship's gossip right now, and he's very perceptive. Like he's always been much more emotionally perceptive than he let on.
0: I will, I will agree that he is emotionally perceptive, and I also think that he, much like his father, was using the truth to manipulate Paul. Yes. And, like, get Paul off his back. Yes. Um, which, I will say, is exactly what Kat did to Pike, I and I was, was just A++. about to say,
1: that's, that's the next thing I was going to raise before we wrap up, so nice segue. <laughs> um,
0: but it was just, it was funny that it's like, Spock, you've been on this ship for, like, 12 hours and you're in the gossip about Paul and you. And like, come on.
1: I choose to believe that Tilly at some point sat him down, gave him a bowl of plumique soup and said, okay, welcome to Discovery. I'm your sister's best friend. Here is everything you need to know. The captain is handsome. The pilot is amazing. Paul and Hugh just broke up.
0: I mean, I, I will accept that headcanon because it's a great visual um, <laughs> idea. And I just love, like, excitable little Tilly who is so, just, like, her little, hi Admiral, I'm not really a <laughs> was was so great. I'm so glad
1: that they're incorporating the the storyline of The Way to the Stars by Una McCormack because I had a lot of problems with the editing of that book but I really enjoyed the story and if you ever wanted to know how things go down at a Federation boarding school for baby diplomats this is the book for you but also Cat's Face was like I don't know if I should shut this down or let her continue because it's adorable. (laughs) Do I eat her up with a spoon or send her back to her post?
0: And Pike was was the same. Like Everyone on the bridge was sort of like, this is so sweet. We should probably break it up, but it's so sweet. Tilly is everybody's... little, like, younger cousin or
1: something.
0: Yeah. They all want her to succeed.
1: I kind of do want her to pull it back a bit, but I think that's something that comes with experience, and she's just lost a close friend, so, you know, you know, she'll get there. I I think she's still in the phase of being slightly overconfident because she's in in the command training program, and and she's Mm -hmm. recovered from her mushroom adventures. So... Yeah, she's basically got tickets on herself and it's great. And yes, Kat and Chris and the extremely interesting background lighting in that scene.
0: Yeah, I cannot get over how that scene was presented. Like it was, it was a great scene for a lot of, you know, it was, it was good to see. It was great for Kat to show her... Like, you know, okay, we're going to, I'm going to deal with this by, by complimenting him and, and, you know, giving him his way so that we can move on from it. Yes. You know, she really, she read him so well and, and, and presented exactly Mm. what he needed to hear so that he could stop whining about, you know, not being in the war and feeling bad about it and put him sort of off guard Mm. while also giving him a, you know, boosting up his confidence and telling him that he's, he's the best. And, and, uh, and, and you know, she was like swatting him down and boosting him up at the exact same time. And it was brilliant.
1: But also she stopped him from uh, publicly questioning the morality of her decisions in front of a crew who knows better than most how how questionable her decisions can be.
0: Right. She needed to shut it down.
1: Yeah. Like it was
0: clear that she needed she needed to bring that to a head so that it could be addressed and and brushed away. Yeah. Because, you know, like we cannot focus on this this needs to this can't be an argument that we're having on this bridge again with these people you know they're all going to stand up and we are starfleet again if we let this go on too long so i have to nip it in the bud and explain to pike and to everyone who's listening yes you know the that that i i had a plan like even if it's not true i had a plan and and it you know we we were holding the enterprise back for important reasons and there was a there was just a lot it was there was a lot of I'm just I continue to be really proud of myself for sorting her as Slytherin (laughs) long long ago because she's so good at playing that game
1: right and
0: and at the same time she fully acknowledges that her faults like I feel like she doesn't She's sort of like a Vulcan. She's sort of like, yeah, I I did these things and I, I feel guilt, you know, similar to how Michael does, but I'm not going to let it get in the way of my decision-making capabilities.
1: Right, right. I think, unlike Michael, she's never crippled by guilt.
0: Right, because she's a Slytherin and Michael's
1: a Gryffindor. <laughs> well, I just... I keep using the phrase unapologetic pragmatism because that's, that's what it comes down to. And I think it is so refreshing to see a character and a, a female character who isn't made to suffer for her questionable decisions. Like she was introduced for three episodes and the idea was that she was going to sleep with Lorca, be sent on that mission and be killed. And that's kind of your standard reductive, uh, woman makes bad choice about sex life and dies as a consequence. And instead they made the last minute decision to keep her alive and she's grown into this much more layered character who makes good and bad decisions and is basically doing her best with maybe looking at a bigger picture than a Starfleet captain. And I think this is something that's going to come up in our Admiral post Mm -hmm. uh, episode later but an admiral needs to look at a much bigger picture than a captain and that's where Kirk for example fails exactly and, and so yeah she does have to make really ruthless pragmatic choices and sometimes sometimes they are immoral sometimes she does have to sacrifice principle and personally i think that as far as principle sacrificing goes setting out to set defensive minds is a lot better than destroying chronos like that, that, that's yeah. where my morality <laughs> sits.
0: That's right. It, she's just, she's a really well put together idea of a character that I, I just, every time she shows up, I'm, I'm interested, you know, not so, you know, obviously I'm interested if she stands up, but,
1: <laughs> but we are biased.
0: The show is working to reward me for that loyalty by making you know giving her more and uh, and allowing her to make these questionable decisions and and as you say not punishing her within the story for them like punishing her through her characterization and through what people like through pike yeah you know confronting her but not punishing her
1: yeah it's not disproportionate <clears throat> Yeah. Like she's been called out by Pike and Michael who are very heroic and admiral- admirable characters who at the same time could absolutely not do what she does.
0: Right. And yeah and I, I think that you know how how Kirk fails that's such a good really really good point. And it's sort of like we don't get really get to see Jane Way as an admiral but I can absolutely imagine her being this type of character like i can like janeway is the type of character who can you know she's down and dirty as kirk is but she's also capable of stepping back and making a full decision and taking and taking ownership of it like she doesn't yeah yeah i am i am going to make this decision that no one else to make no one else wants to make and i and i understand the consequences and i accept them
1: it's like destroying Kronos. it's a bad choice but maybe someone had to make that decision and thank god they didn't have to go through with it Right. To reiterate, so. I do not approve of the destruction of Kronos. I do think it was a bad decision. <laughs> and but
0: also, like it's not like she made that decision by herself. No, like, no. She is the face of it, and she, she, I think she does take ownership of it. But it's there. There were a lot of people involved. There was a council that she was talking to. Right. Serik was right next to her and agreeing. And I'm pretty sure, like he brought the proposition to her in the first place. He so, did. Like you know, there's a lot of blame to go around in
1: this. It was authorised by the Pre- Federation Council and presumably the President. We still don't know how that whole system works, but It's
0: <laughs> that, I want that show I, I want the <gasps> Federation Politics show so badly but yeah, so like, that's also refreshing yeah. for her to be the face of the decision but the show does not treat her like she's the only one involved.
1: Yeah. And arguably she was transmitting an illegal order down the chain of command and she as an admiral was in a position to push back, but I think we also see that she was not in a particularly good place at that time and was desperate. And I Great. I really do believe that they were looking at having, you know, keeping the constitution class ships out of the war so that there would be someone around to yeah. Get the refugees and find a new place to rebuild like
0: absolutely
1: and we don't get to see yeah those nine months
0: of mm. war mm. we the audience has not experienced that discovery has not experienced that pike has not experienced that cat is the only one who went through right that actual wartime like the worst part of the war
1: so and she basically came into it straight from being a prisoner of war
0: yeah i mean look, let's give her a little bit of slack here i I agree, I agree with you obviously we don't agree with that plan we don't want Kronos to be destroyed uh, you know th- again that was like why are you listening to
1: emperor the George evil, joe
0: the evil lady from the evil empire <laughs> these are bad choices like obviously Georgiou is going to use the Federation to get rid of all of her enemies and take over. Like, <laughs> hello? That Obviously. was her plot. <laughs> so, so, you know, yeah. let's let's look at this from... And I'm sure she's still... <laughs> like, now Georgiou has access to a supercomputer who's going to help her do it.
1: But she doesn't seem to have a very high opinion of AI, so maybe she won't want to.
0: Yes, maybe she wouldn't want to use it. Yeah. But going back to the visuals, the fact that... Pike had wings in that entire uh, scene. He's the blue angel. Yes, he's the blue angel. I mean, it was just, like, so blatant (laughs) that I I was just sitting there going, wow, look at his angelicness.
1: This is not a subtle show. (laughs) Like,
0: this is not subtle right here. But even, like, the lens flare gave Kat a halo 2. So it was you know it was, there was it was interesting and it was interesting that there you know blue angel, red angel and she had yellow
1: and yeah.
0: those are the, the those are the, the starfleet colors. And I was just like I sat there for a long time going okay, I'm going to figure out what this means. <laughs> I'm not I don't think I've figured out what it means, but you know, beyond just being pretty visuals, but I do think like they wouldn't use that effect on Pike if we weren't supposed to connect him with the Red Angels.
1: No. And people complain about the, the lens flare in Discovery, but it's usually used with a purpose.
0: Exactly. It's not... That, that wasn't like, we're going to use lens flare to use lens flare. We're going to use... The, uh, the warp speed effect because we can. Like, th- it was very obvious that they were trying to say something, even if it was just a subconscious, like, to get us to be thinking about how everything is connected. Yeah. You know, I, like, I don't think that they were giving us a secret message, <laughs> but I think that they were they were saying, we're going to use this entire scene, not just the words, but also the way we are presenting the scene. You know, it's on their bridge with the entire crew listening exactly the same way as the We Are Starfleet scene. Yes. And they had all of this angel effects going on. Like they're like these things are connected.
1: I think it's <laughs> it's the fact that Kat had that halo and Pike had the wings, I think because this is one of the many, many conflicts aboard Discovery, which is not people disagreeing with each other for the sake of drama, and I think your cat will agree with me, but people who have sincerely held different positions and they're arguing to sort of reach a common ground. Yes. Someone said, I don't remember where, but someone said that
0: all of these arguments that people are having this year on Discovery,
1: everyone's a little bit right. Yes. And everyone's a little yes, bit wrong. That was me, and I said it on Twitter. was five. you! <laughs> Hooray! Oh, so. I feel so valid right now.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that was such a good point, and, so, and it's absolutely true, and I think that those are the best stories.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I, know? I think... It's a really good way of showing the evolution towards the TNG system where most of the time the conflicts are largely intellectual and if they're personal they probably involve Worf which I think is very problematic I think Next Gen had a lot more conflicts than people give it credit for but like Discovery it was mostly professionals trying to deal with it with in, in good faith but yeah. I, I I prefer Discovery's approach of emotionally th- emotionally engaged people arguing for what they both believe is the right thing.
0: And I think it's important to remember that Picard is the uh, descendant, I guess, of Pike.
1: Like, yes,
0: they are similar in their presentation in the ethos of Star Trek.
1: Yes. Which really just makes me more excited for the Picard show and the casting of a young uh, Australian of Maori descent. Uh, his Instagram is a bit not safe for work, but he's very pretty. And, and he's, a, he's an Australian, so I assume he's going to turn out to be a total buff head. So, yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited.
0: I'm excited.
1: Okay. Some
0: exciting things happening in Star Trek. But my cat
1: thinks we should stop talking. <laughs> well, I think your cat might have a point. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for listening to AntimatterPod. Please rate and review us on iTunes. Five star reviews help make us visible to control. And the rest of you, probably. You cannot support us on Patreon or like us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter at, at AntimatterPod and also at antimatterpod.tumblr.com, including links to our social media and credits for our theme music please send vaguely positive thoughts in our direction and join us next week for more discovery and hopefully more airlock defenestration.